often doesn't happen like that in the real world. Your, your journalism kicks in, but the human being kicks in as well. What do you do when there have been snipers and bullets in the sky rise and the buildings and you can't see what's happening and people are falling down in front of you like this? So that for me is one of the ingredients for memorable radio, radio journalism. It must do something to you physically. It must make your hair stand up on end. It must make, if you've got hair or little goosebumps on your spine, your whole body must start changing because then you're having a physical response to something. It's the human being connecting to the human being. Spontaneity, real, it's real, it's raw, it's unadulterated, huh? The spontaneity, the instantaneousness, the humanness, the personalness, um, you are there. You are transported. Okay. Any other thoughts? Anything you're going to remember about this? Pitch. Yeah. Um, the noise in the background. Yeah, and the noise in the background. Yeah. Um, appointed its first female correspondent without a microphone. And uh, her name was uh, Elizabeth Blunt, mm -hmm. and she went to cover West Africa. And she had to fight tooth and nail to get that job, partly because she had a female voice. Not surprising, because mm -hmm. she was a woman. Mm -hmm. And female voices were not acceptable on world service because of the problems of shortwave. That was the excuse. Mm -hmm. When you actually started to speak to people in the field um, in the years following, not only was she an excellent journalist, but also um, her, her timbre, her pitch of her voice was not as high-pitched as that. It was very similar to, to how you speak now or how I speak now. But it did actually have that range that could pierce through shortwave very well. So in fact, a lot more people appreciated her reporting because they could understand what was being said in a way in which it was difficult sometimes to understand the rather deeper and gruffer and men going on. So that was going on in, in my Your mind head. when I was listening to that yeah. as well. It's partly also because it was a woman mm. describing a hellish scene that probably at that period mm. in that amount of sexism that was going on then probably had a little bit of an impact as well. So that was 1994. I'm just trying to... 28 years old. And when I started journalism in Namibia, straight from Rhodes, um, I really wanted to do politics. The UN was there, T times were changing, they were being removed from South Africa, becoming independent and all of that. I wanted to do politics. I was not allowed to do politics because I was a woman. The team was mainly, if not, there were some changes later, white, male and Afrikaans. My editor said to me, I was already doing seven beats. Yes, it was a smaller country, transport, conservation, art, culture, whatever. But learning how to be a journalist and editing and all those techniques, my editor said to me, you can do politics, but you're still doing your seven beats. So I said, fine, I'll do politics, and I'll do my seven beats. 
They soon realized when the UN was coming in that there were a lot of international speaking people and they would need English journalists. And I was the only one. The rest spoke Afrikaans. Black, any color, they all spoke Afrikaans. But they changed very quickly when the UN came in. We had these accents. When Sam Nyoma was um, elected and then inaugurated as president, I was kind of moving very quietly and slowly into the political team. They said to me, the team said to me, oh, okay, so so-and-so is going to do the president and you're going to do the first lady. And I said to them, not a damn. I don't do tea parties. I am doing the president. And I became Sam Nyoma's presidential correspondent in the first few years. So these things are not ludicrous. And this is where we come from, and this is what we actually need to appreciate, and why you have to fight harder and hold harder onto what you do. Others have come before, others are still going to come, and what are we going to leave them? So all of us are going to make little footsteps and footprints as we go along. Okay, so the second one, I hauled out of the archives to rebroadcast this year, because it was a big 40th anniversary. I was doing the Truth Commission from 1996, April, to 1998. Initially, we were four team members. We traveled around the country. We then became eight team members working in four languages, traveling around the country and working with other team members. Initially, I didn't want to do the Truth Commission. I'd done the violence. I'd done the presidential beat. I'd done parliament in Namibia, democracy. Blah. I said, let the younger guys do it. On the eve of the first public hearing in East London, Franz Kruger, came running downstairs to the radio canteen and he said to me, you've got to go, you've got to go. I'm like, no, I'm not going. It was very politically correct. They had to choose the right team members to cover the story. I said, I'm not doing the story. No, they're having a nervous breakdown. No, they're not coping. And then I pictured all my colleagues who I knew and I thought, okay, I'm going for two days and then I'm going to do something else that I want, a nice feature, whatever, and then I'm coming back. Two days became two years, became four years. So this is one story that I did. Um, it was at the Truth Commission Human Rights hearing into Soweto in 1976. I covered the first day, so we did bulletins, we did Q&As. My main job was to make sure that the Truth Commission stories made the lead in the bulletin. It was a challenge because nobody believed the victims. You had never really had little people's voices expressing atrocities and brutalities in the lead. We had resistance from our team members, the editors. They said, oh, it's too graphic, it's too gruesome. And then I'd say to them, well, when do you think we should broadcast this? If not for breakfast, tea time, lunch time. We became quite arrogant because that was the resistance. We got death threats, we got uh, horrible, not emails, letters. <laughs> letters in the post and faxes and whatever. And I covered the story, I think on my own. <laughs> It was in the Regina Mundi Church in Soweto. Bulletins, Q&As, package. And then I realized I was onto something. I had exquisite sound, oral testimony. Now remember how we were working. This particular one, I trans I, I'd finished my stories. This was two days later. Finished typing out the stories, filing them or whatever, and I knew I was onto something. I transcribed quickly. And then I realized, but there's part of the story, there's another part of the story, there's another part of the story, and I pulled this together. But it was so much information, I literally typed it out, went into the boardroom, and cut up the transcript. And I started piecing it together with tape. So I pieced together conversations. The next morning, Danny was working at Monitor, our Afrikaans current affairs program. And I went to another colleague and I said, I need music. This is more or less what it's about. Danny, rail to rail. 
like this. He edits like this. He used to take the programs live to air with his hands. And I said to him, we need to mix this. We didn't stop once. I have never in my life had sweat running down the palm of my hand. There was something magical. There was something spiritual. But it was a physical response to the story. I knew I was sitting on something that I had to share. I couldn't hold on to it. So let's go to the second one, Dan. The Truth Commission's first ever partial event hearing took place at the Regina Monday Catholic Church in Soweto in mid July 1996. The focus was the 20th anniversary of the June 16 Soweto uprising, the day thousands of black children revolted against the apartheid system of family education and Africans of the medium of instruction. All hell broke out when the police unleashed their dogs, tear gas, and bullets on students armed with stones, knives, and fire. The official cost, a week later, more than a thousand injuries, 900 arrests, and 140 corpses, the first being that of teenager Hector Peterson. He became the innocent symbol in the turning point of the liberation struggle for democracy. Andrew Kapilianis and Danny Boisen compiled this soundscape on wounds that have never healed and memories that will never die. Yes, rubber bullets. Vans were burning, cars were burning, buildings were burning. It was just mayhem all over. It was chaos. They were in the forefront of a battle that nobody had ever thought would be that day. Africans was just the last straw that broke the camel's back. The wounds had never really closed. They've always been open for the last 20 years, to be quite honest with you. I will never, never forget 1976. I have never seen such brutality. Yes, I have seen the Shopville massacre. It happened one day. The next day, everybody went to work as if nothing has happened. But June 16, you kill one, you kill all. Bantu education is a curse. They gave us Bantu education, but never equaled that with wolf education. I cannot get over the fact that the Nationalist Party in particular singled out children, changed their education, and gave them an inferior education 
so that those children could be children who are going to remain the slaves of what people in Run about 10 o'clock, we heard that um, a child was killed in Orlando West. As we were driving back to Orlando West, that is when we noticed this young girl with agony and anguish on her face come running up the street. Next to her was this young man in an overall and carrying a young boy in his arms. I took six sequence shots on that picture of the student whom we later discovered that was Hector Peterson. And suddenly, on the lips of every child you met was Hector Peterson, Hector Peterson, Hector Peterson. That young boy on that day, yes, he died. He was killed by the police. But overnight, he became a hero. And you have to ask, who is Hector Peterson? I will never, never forget 1976. I have never seen such brutality. June 16, you kill one, you kill all. Nothing else was used except the life ammunition which were used to shoot the student direct. And they did not shoot on the air, they shot direct to the students. I was there, I saw it. He was face down. I held him by the ear, turned him over. And I said, Oh, thou fallen piece of death, those that have done this deed shall be very sorry. So I realized, yes, it was Hastings in Goku, my son, that had died. On the morning of 16th of June, 1976, my father, Dr. Noel Leonard Edelstein, drove Shauna and myself to school and never came back. When we passed the municipality office, with the white man standing outside, he was an ordinary person to us. But when we came back, he was an enemy. And his fight and his struggle was for equal education. He believed that all should be educated equally. He was a man who was totally against the violation of human rights. They saw me and, and saw him. And uh, 
they burn the office and they throw him inside the office burning. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time. Nothing much to affect our human lives has changed since 1976. Very little has changed. Our education is still the same. The 76 Rise Student Riot has been the major factor in getting this freedom, this new democracy. I'm still angry because I feel the Nationalist Party government did never saw our children as children. Because the color of their skin was not the color of the skin of their children. They were not children. They were not human beings. They were children who were not given an opportunity. to grow, to mature, to become adults like everybody. I will never, never forget 1976. So, any physical feelings? Swaki? Hi. So, <laughs> um, anyway, I thought I wasn't going to abuse the time because I get to speak to you every day. But I have listened to this radio package now, I don't know how many times since we replayed it on the radio. And each time I um, I'm listening to it. It not only takes me to, you know, I can almost be in the TRC um, the, where they had the, the commission set. And, the, you know, the emotions that are evoked are so strong that I feel, you know, I, it's as if I can, if I could interact with it. Like, you know, I want to do something with that, but, you know, it's not possible. But for me, um, it has not, uh, you know, and new and respect for you from this year. About I did have it, but you know, <laughs> there's more of it. But and also, it's it's the kind of thing that you spoke about that it's it's only sound, but I'm able to imagine so much from just hearing. And I think this is what we're missing now on the radio. All we have is just voices talk. talk, talk. talk all the time and this is talk 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 it's a different kind of talk 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 yeah, hmm? yeah i think that's what i'll say anyone um how long is it dan uh, and this one was a special hey this one was done for we had besides doing hard news current affairs q a's live we had an additional program to fill on a friday uh, half an hour docky slot. I think Sue Valentine is here. She helped to produce that. 
So it's about, minus the intro, I think we got it down 8.30 or 8 without the intro. But this one is from our CD collection, so it has the intro on it. Um, yeah, I think it's about 8. Okay, my sense, I don't want to know about duration. If a story is worth 30 seconds, it is worth 30 seconds. If it is worth 1 minute 30, it is worth that. If it holds you for 8 minutes, it's worth that. And I do worry how we learned this. Somebody says current affairs must be 1.30. I don't want bad 1.30. I'd rather have great 10 minutes or great 15 minutes that holds you, that pulls you, that keeps you, that gets you thinking, feeling, talking. That's what I'd rather have. But someone came along, and I think it's part of those guidelines, the guidelines for a bulletin voice are 40 seconds. Because they can go to one minute, and it can be unnecessary. So it's choose your words carefully. Every word has meaning. Every word is powerful. And we build stories word for word, sentence for sentence. And then we use the sound, hopefully, to move it or bridge. So my sense is, I'm probably on the other side, if it's only worth 30 seconds, that's what it's worth. If it's worth five minutes and it sounds great from beginning, middle to the end, I'm okay with that. I just want to say, uh, alienation. That was that, that, that incredibly fortuitous, I believe, but fortuitous <laughs> also because you worked on the edit so mm. that it would come to get the alienation coming at that, just that point. Mm. Thank you. Thank you very much. The two of us. And it's it's not a choice that I would ordinarily have gone for. It's Dollar Brand, Abdullah Ibrahim. I think it's in something in Sakisi's bells or something, wedding bells. And it's actually quite Muslim. And it's got that haunting Muslim but for me it was that wail, it was that cry, and it just it had nothing to do with religion, but it it cries. The music cries and carries. Um, yeah. Yeah, adding on to that, I think also the, the repetition of that phrase became a refrain and that mm. almost made all of the, the voices like lyrics mm. to that song. Mm. Um, so the refrain is really powerful. So the refrain is the Peter Magubane, uh, we'll never forget Soweto 76 or whatever. So the first time I think I used the whole quote. Second time I use less of the quote and eventually you're just left with this one-liner. For me... And I didn't think of it when I was doing this because you, you've just got a gut feeling and I think it's trust your gut feeling. Learn, practice, experiment, but trust your gut feeling. Every time I listen to this, and I still get goosebumps, and that for me is a good thing. It's never won an award. I've never entered it for an award. But when, when I need to think about something or share, it's like there's magic to this. There's, there's a special... It's almost, almost like I was floating somewhere else. But it turned out to be a little movie for radio. So it has a part one where you've got these voices coming at you. Then it goes into the well-known, the, the Afrikaans, why we protested or whatever, and Hector Peterson. Then it goes into the unknown, Hastings and Glovo, the father who turns him by the ear and realizes it's his son. Then you go into how many people actually knew that a white person or more than one white person people died. I didn't know that. And when I heard her story and I heard his story, and I thought... They were on two separate days. They're not talking to each other. It was almost like I had to bring that conversation, just the relevant bits, as if they land up speaking to each other. 
So it's not something, I mean, I did this overnight. There was no three months working on it. It's a, trust your instinct, you know your material. If it means you must work at night, work at night. Um, the deadlines don't go away. And the next morning I had to go back and carry on and doing, and then another story would come. But it's, yeah, trust your instinct. And then it ends off, there's this conclusion. And the reason I think I like to haul this out every now and then is nothing, there's nothing I've come across that beats this. It is timeless, it is classic, it captures that moment. People have died. In the outro, the presenter will read, you know, whose voices or you heard. I didn't find a need to identify them. What they were saying for me was more important than the who. And we've got big names. Peter Magubani, Sam Zima, who took the photo, Ellen Kuzwaya, Sophie Tima. I can't remember the father, Hastings and Lover's father's name. Um, the other thing that you've not mentioned is my voice is nowhere there. I am not there. It's everyone else's voice. But that takes time to get out of the way but actually make a greater effort at mediating all these voices and pulling them together. So there's a lot of behind-the-scenes work, and I think that's what I also love about this, is it shows you, you can get out of the way of a great story. And I know there's a place for the I first-person narrative, or playing down the line, reporting, soundbite, reporting, soundbite. But this was something I just had the best possible material to use, and let the material dictate to me, to talk to me, guide me, and step out, but do all the work with Danny and Alette and the music behind the scenes. Sure, Horisani. You start somewhere. So, yes, I've done reporting, yes, I've done voices, and then I grew. I was very fortunate, 1994, South Africa and the SABC got an explosion of foreign talent, some of the best, NPR, BBC, ABC, CBC, some of the best. It was difficult to work with them. I had sometimes seven producers telling me what to do, and none of them were on the same page. But I took every opportunity, and every opportunity, I knew... I knew there was something special. I knew there was something special about radio. And I've learned as I've gone along. I didn't, there's no formula, there's no uh, textbook that tells you. It's if you believe in this and you like it, listen to more of it. The web is our oyster. There's um, some great sites all over the world. Listen to more of it. But actually, you've got to take that first step. And you've got to start and you've got to try. And you're going to make mistakes. You're going to hear... No matter 30 years down the line, some of my edits are not great. Some of my fades are too quick. They're too sharp. But also, you know, under the circumstances, 2 o'clock in the morning, everyone else is sleeping here. We are trying to still do the best. It starts somewhere and try. But that which you love, bet your bottom dollar, there are another thousand that are going to love that. And this is what I'm asking or thinking about is how do we do this, that, the great radio journalism, great journalism, on all the platforms that we now have. And I'll get to my point at the end. So this is ideal for radio, but I want your mind thinking, how do you give it legs? So let me take you to that question. All the youngsters that are on the social media space and are on, online, what would you do? I'm giving this to you. I give you the story with all its blessings and all my heart. 
what would you do on social media to enhance what you've heard here? Okay, help me. I don't know what a tweet storm is. Um, you've got your, um, your platform and you just put out quotes. Quotable quotes. All through the anniversary day. Set it up beforehand with those mm -hmm. tweets to say, follow this particular hashtag and you can follow everything that happens. <coughs> and then um, add photos. Mm -hmm. What photos? What photos would you add? The individuals that were speaking. Okay. But for online. Now where would you now where would you get that material from? Would you be with me or would you be with me on the story? Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay, now you mentioned the photo, the Sam and Zima photo with um, Antoinette and what's his name, Makubo, and Hector Peterson. Cop, what do you do about copyright? Sure. Because it don't belong to you, it belongs to Sam and Zima. And he hasn't been paid royalties for years and years and years, and I think he's still continuing to get a raw deal. And every 16 June, we remember him and we try and get the photo. And what do you do about copyright? So that, I think, is the online web social media challenge. Anyone have a quick answer for all of us or a tip? You just do that. Mm -hmm. Most people were sharing all these photos that they didn't take, and I noticed mm -hmm. quite a lot of them were Da'al's photos mm -hmm. of the Balo. And I mean, what you're going to do, but just put a little photo icon and say. Credits or. Really? Okay. I wouldn't let them do it, they know. They're not allowed to do that. If the copyright don't belong to us, unless you get permission, and they get permission in writing, whether it's music, photos, and I say, do I have it in writing? Okay, now you can go. Okay. So can, you can see we're operating in a different space. For the music, I would have had to fill in a Samro music royalty form that would go to the music library or the station manager, program manager, whatever. So remember, our musicians and our artists are complaining that they're dying poor. We put it on Mixcloud. We put it on Mixcloud. Okay, and what happens on Mixcloud? Those royalties. Okay. I know SoundCloud will kick you out. SoundCloud will kick you out. Definitely. You out. I mean, they may not start playing that you recognize that the song belongs to Abdullah Brahim, then you're still going to pay. Okay. 
So these are some of the challenges that we face. How do we work smartly, but how do we work honestly and fairly around those? Okay, any other ideas of how you could or would enhance this? Well, I was actually listening to what she was saying, and she, she's actually talking about an audio slideshow. Mm. Was actually mm. I mean, mm. that, that, that is a format of mm. an audio slideshow. Mm. So you said it was almost like a slideshow. It, it is, is a slideshow. slideshow. It is actually an audio slideshow. So very, yeah, very nice format. And you can do it with cell phones now. With cell phones? Okay, so I'm hoping I'm pricking your mind, but I do believe that I wouldn't have been able to do this and the two of us wouldn't have been able to do this if we still had to tweet and Facebook and whatever it is else we had to do. I wouldn't have got this out. My sense is I need people to help me do, to give it the legs and the arms and the feet and move it. Am I right or am I wrong? I, I, I don't know. I can't do everything. And I think in the workplaces, people are wanting us to do fewer people doing so much more, but actually we need to start knowing that everyone must specialize, but then connect and have the synergy and symbiotic relationship that comes together. You've already, you've already done it. It's, it's not an either or. You've already done it. All that people were telling you to do is check out the quotes that are all busy there. Yeah, but remember, I worked right through the night. Mm -hmm. And I'm still working tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah. It's already there. It literally takes sort of eight minutes because you've nine or ten times you've already transcribed it. It's already in your head. It's not that much of a task, really. Okay. Okay. You you're gonna work with me. It's history. With patience. Oh, passion. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. What is what Warisani is saying? Please keep your passion. You need to keep your passion. Yeah. Everything you're doing, every time you're doing it, all the time. Yeah. Passion. Yeah. And you're playing around. Okay. So you also need to know how you work best. I'm an all the night through the nights kind of girl. Uh, don't wake me up at 3 o'clock. I will rather work right through, do everything, deliver, hand over, go sleep, wake up. Okay. Any other ideas on this? Any other thoughts, feelings before we move on to the next? Transcribed, cut up pieces of paper and sellotape. I want to remind you, hold on to that. If you ever get stuck and you ever get depressed and want to give up, paper, transcribed, sellotape, cut, scissors. Like, I, mean, I, do think, I think it's, it's 
Okay, I want to talk to two of those points. The one is, um, you're talking about history. I have always had this approach that I'm documenting the now. And I document the now, whether it's 30 seconds, one minute, five minutes, ten minutes, I document. And part of the techniques that I use, I have a few in this toolbox that I've collected over the years. One of them is, how am I going to remember the story? What am I going to talk about over drinks, over dinner, in bed, around the table, around the water cooler? What am I talking about? Because that which I'm talking about is actually the story. It's not the he said, she said, blah, 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 blah. It's, did you hear? Malema called him a bloody agent. That was the story. What did our reporter come and do? No, he has praised Mugabe's land reform policy. That was the story. So it's, it's, you've got to get that right in your brain. I don't know where we have these two separate narratives and two separate styles. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? How do you absorb it? How do you, what are you going to talk about? Did you hear? Did you know? That Put that in brackets and then you say the sentence or whatever. Another tool, tip, for those of you who are doing photography now also online, what is that one photo you would take? If you were only allowed one photo, and it must capture everything, it must capture the essence, and from that, you can embroider out the story. Another tip, freeze frame that moment, and then tell the story from there, because you're starting to visualize, okay? The press conference. So, I haven't been to a press conference in years, but what I see on TV, I don't like. I don't like what I see on TV. I don't like the buddy-buddy with the ANC Secretary General, SG this, SG that. He's not my SG. He's not your SG. He's Mr. Guede Mantashe, Mr. Mantashe. Because you have crossed a line. You have crossed a line by calling him SG. There's no familiarity. You can be friends, you can talk, but keep your professional distance. Then, so we laugh, we giggle. That's what I'm watching on my TV. You're going live now, hey? So everyone can see how journalists are behaving and their interaction with those in power. And I'm just using that as an example because I've done hundreds of political news conferences. How often are they late? How often do the journalists not walk out after 10 minutes? Because you are being summoned. You are being summoned to come and relay a very specifically designed message. Okay, so think of your role in that. But then you're sitting sometimes with great material. What do you do with it? Yes, get your soundbite out. Yes, do your Q&A. Do the hard news. And then go and look at who said what. And juxtapose. Put pieces together. Okay, I won't, I won't go. There's a direction I want to go, but it's too close to home. It's too close to home. Too close to home. I'm speaking in code. You'll have to decipher. I would have a field day. If you give me all the material... I would chop and cut and juxtapose and say this and say that. Just one person. What great radio. Hmm? Then take it onto the online social media space. How do you do that? So here are some ideas. Okay. I think, uh, <clears throat> one thing that has been lost If you have been in that situation, mm. for example, both of the stories that you just related mm. is because you are actively involved with the audience that you are reporting um, on. on. Mm. And uh, with information being so, can Google this, can Google that, and uh, try and put a story together. But because you don't have actual experience, 
Okay, so the point you're talking to is a great journalist must get out of his or her comfort zone. You're not going to get great journalism behind the computer. Yes, you need a phone, you pick up, you get, you do whatever you've got to do, but get out. Get out of your comfort zone and go and see what's happening. See with your own eyes, observe, see, learn to describe very quickly. What am I seeing? Okay? What am I hearing? Uh, I'll play, we'll play a piece now with more Nat sound. This is very different. What am I hearing? What's the defining sound? How can I use that? That tape recorder, whatever you call these gadgets nowadays, I don't know. It must be running, but your ears must be pricked up like this. And you must go into the uncomfortable. So I've only realized now after the second one that um, I have covered a lot of death. Okay, a lot of my stories are about death and birth and life. Um, so I don't want to, I want to apologize <laughs> that I've chosen some of those stories. But that's who I am, that's where I've been, what have you. But you've got to get out. You're not going to get that great story sitting behind the desk, if that's what you can do. And you've got to stretch yourself. You've got to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. You've got to care. If you don't care about what's happening, your listener is not going to care. Your audience is not going to care. You must be questioning. You must be curious. You must want to know. Okay. Okay. I think we play one last one. I'm going to let you choose just by code. <laughs> Census, Lesotho, or no, shall I decide for them? Shall I decide? Okay, I'm going to go international. Um, I've asked Danny to collect a lot of international radio pieces for me. I'm wanting to have a workshop with our current affairs teams. We've got 14 across the country. Um, it's not that they haven't been as exposed as me. I want to show them that there is a world that they can tap into. And my dad always used to say to me, beg, borrow, and steal with your eyes and your ears, as long as you don't hurt someone. So if there's a te technique, try it. It may work now, it may not work. Try something else. But listen, read. Um, have a, world, a wide world view. Okay? We just need to get out of our bodies. So we're going to play the international one. I played it at our radio news workshop in Paris last year. And I'm going to give you a little bit of context, if you don't, my Paris attacks. So on Friday evening, the 13th of November last year, France experienced its deadliest attack since World War II. There were a series of terrorist attacks in Paris, three suicide bombers, um, attacks and shootings at cafes, restaurants, music venues, and Bataclan Theatre. In total, 100, 130 people were killed, including 89 at the theatre, and something like 400 people were injured. So I said to Danny what I wanted. What I love doing is just sharing, listening, because the light bulbs will come on when you're ready. Something is talking to you now. It's not going to talk to you three days later. A year later, you're going to say, but that's what, that's what I heard. That was the technique. And learn to dissect, break down. What are you hearing? Why is this moving me? Question yourself. Huh, they said that in one word, one sentence. Practice. How do I describe... How do I describe you? Who am I going to pick? Which is my photo? So you're doing a lot of work yourself, but start questioning what you do, what you hear, what you see. So let's listen to Paris as the attack. Good evening. I'm Chris Adams, sitting in for Jeff Douglas. This is As It Happens. There is mayhem tonight in a neighborhood of Paris. 
There are reports of killings, shootouts at restaurants, explosions near a stadium where a soccer match was underway. France has declared a national state of emergency. French media is also reporting that at least 15 people have been killed near the Bataclan Art Centre, where up to 60 people have reportedly been held hostage. Automatic gunfire has also been heard outside that concert hall. This is BBC Radio Five Live. Good morning, it's Rachel Burden. It's five minutes past ten now and a change to our usual Saturday morning programmes. We will be bringing you coverage from Paris throughout the morning and throughout the rest of the day following the devastating attacks. First of all, let's hear from some of those who were caught up in last night's horrific events. One hour into the concert, we had a shooting and I fell with other people into a hall. I saw two young men, no older than 25, with Kalashnikovs. There was one who kept gesturing for us to get down. We all lay down, the whole room lay down, and they kept shooting. France pauses to mourn today on the world. I'm Marco Werman. All of France observed a minute of silence to remember those killed in the Paris attacks. This Parisian paused while she was donating blood. All of the people in Paris are very united. We, we are um, just the same, yes. Well, that's why bombing ISIS strongholds is just one of the goals in Syria. As long as we can't agree on what to do about Assad, then we can't really resolve the ISIS problem. Those stories coming up today on The World. We've been trying to make sense of the tragic events in Paris all weekend. For many of us, it's personal. The places that were attacked are familiar to anyone who's visited that city. But it goes beyond familiarity. There is the heartbreak of so many lives ended abruptly and violently last Friday night. Plus, the Paris attacks appear to have moved a battle being waged in Syria and across the Mideast into a Western city. And that raises many, many questions and challenges with an urgency that is undeniable. We're going to start asking some of those questions today and we'll be asking them over the coming days and weeks. Today, we begin our coverage in Paris. At 12 noon today, the city and all of France came to a halt for a minute's silence to remember those killed in the attacks. The world's Leo Hornack is in Paris. He spent the morning at a blood donation center in the city's Saint Louis Hospital directly opposite two of the bars where people were killed by gunmen on Friday. Amandine has never given blood before, and she says she's nervous. She doesn't like needles. But she's here on a grey Monday morning with dozens of other people because she wants to do something. I'm proud to do this, and uh, I think uh, it's important in this time. The blood centre is packed with people like Amandine people who want to make a difference. I think all of the people in Paris are very united and I think uh, we are just, just one. There's another reason the atmosphere is intense at this particular donation centre. Nurses and doctors at this hospital were among those having drinks across the street on Friday when one of the gunmen opened fire. Fifteen people died with ten more seriously injured. As the minute of silence approaches, we head outside to the corner where it happened. Hundreds of people have now gathered, standing quietly in the street. Some weep. A woman kneels and prays. There are so many candles burning on the sidewalk, you can smell a candle wax in the air. The minute silence starts. 
and goes on. Two minutes. Four minutes. Six. It's as if no one can bear to break this moment. And then this happens. People begin applauding. And a voice somewhere in the crowd begins to recite a poem by a Senegalese poet. The dead are not under the ground. They're in the fire that goes out. They're in the grass that cries. They're in the rock that moans. They're in the forest. They're in the house. The dead are not dead. Listen. For the world in Paris, I'm Leo Hornack. Okay, so we just. I'm Chris Howe, sitting in for Jeff. It's another one. So we just did a little collage of the of how different international media broke the news, responded to the news, and I, Dan, I think this was how long? One minute, one thirty. The world, the last one. It's something like one minute, one thirty. And for me, it is just so powerful. He starts describing that one minute silence, and two minutes, four minutes, and then the applause. That is, and the, the candle wax the smell of the candle wax in the air, and then this French poem, off mic, completely off mic, but it comes to life with the, the translation of the words and the narration. And we have a sense that, no, we can't use poetry in journalism. Of course we can. We've done it in the Truth Commission. It's still being done here. It's what, make, what captures that story, that moment. So I've heard this once, and I keep on going back to it because of the techniques I, it, it's a tiny little piece. It gives me goosebumps. It makes me think. It makes me feel. So you can do something big, even in a small way. It doesn't have to be that eight minutes or whatever. But it's how do you work to your material? What are you working with? What are your deadlines? You can't do a, an investigation in half a day. But when you get out there, he goes to a blood bank. Who would have thought to go to a blood bank? No, we go phone the cops and we phone the MECs and we phone the ministers. Maybe we go to the hospital, but that's the extent we went to the hospital. It's a one-liner. So go to where the action is. Go to where the scene of the story is. Try and get as close as possible. Use the eyes, use the ears. Speak to people if you can. This one, I don't think, you know, he had one, one soundbite in there. Any thoughts from you on that one? I actually want to add something. Hearing you talking this way reminds me of my own excitement when you sometimes hear something mm. and it can be very small, it can be very detailed, but you know it's special. Mm. And then what I do is in my storytelling, I put it on the top. So it, it, I start to work towards that moment. So even though you have your, you know, your, your, the story that you need to tell, mm. the journalistic questions mm. that you need to ask, but you start working towards that one special moment. Yeah, exactly. Sound. That's where, the, for me, the climax is, and then, mm. you know, it, and that's also the way um, it structures my story. It just, it just, it's. It, also it guides you, huh? It guides you and becomes clear of what is the ending. Okay, mm. then. Okay, I should start then with the blood bag, and then, and then afterwards, it's just, uh, you know, so. Mm. It's, so I think pay attention to the beginnings, pay attention to the middles. The attention must grab, it must catch and hold. The middle must fulfill, must explain. And the end, I remember Susan Sontag, when both she and Nadine Gordimer were alive and she was speaking here, she said, you must tie it up, you must wrap it up. And too often, I found, even in my case, we pay attention to the intro and we forget the conclusion. 
So when you're working with your eyes, you're making notes, you're cutting your sound, it's choose your best. Sometimes you don't have the best sound, but he went and spent time, what was the poem about? And reads it beautifully. You know, it just takes you to another level. But work with all your elements and structure. Your beginning might be my ending and vice versa. But as long as there's a story that holds. So we're going to wrap up now. Um, we've touched on technology. We've touched on memory. We've touched on sound. We didn't dissect it, but maybe tonight and later you'll think about what it is about the stories that you heard that moved you from the sound bites to the choice of words, the quotable quotes or whatever, the music, the natural sound. Um, but I do want to end with two things. One is, I leave you with a statement, maybe it's a credo, fully understand and work towards the strength of your medium, your platform, and your outlet. Don't work to its weakness. So go and sit quietly and say, what is the strength of Twitter? What is the strength of Instagram? What is the strength of WhatsApp? What is the strength of this, video, visuals? What is the strength? You work to that strength. Where are you putting it out? Taking a bad thing and just podcasting it? Actually, no. Don't waste my time. Don't waste anyone's time. Put great stuff, but you've got to do great stuff to get there. And then, I hope I can leave you with a lingering question. How are you and how am I and how are we going to do memorable radio journalism with all the current tools of the trade and technology we have? the new ones that are coming out, and the new ones we can't even begin to imagine. So, thank you, everyone.